Tyler LeClaire. Man, what's going on? Thank you for joining. Of course. How's it going? Pretty good. So how would you how would you introduce yourself? What would you tell? The first thing you would tell basketball trainers and, and, and players, what's your 30-second spiel? Um, I would say my name is obviously Tyler. I'm located out in Lowell, Mass. Um, I run my own gym out here as well as my own training program as well as a coach and trainer education platform called Mastery Hoop. So really trying to dig into the science, just continue to elevate my craft as a trainer, become more efficient on the training side, helping players see actual results, as well as trying to increase my business in all aspects. I like it. And when did you, so if people, anybody knows your story, you dropped out of college after your first year. What year was Mm -hmm. that when you dropped out? That was 2018. So yeah, I got out of school May 2018. And what made you decide to do that? Why wasn't it for you? Um, well, I didn't even originally want to go to college in the first place just because I knew, like, the path that I wanted to take. I wanted to kind of do my own thing, whether it was with business. I didn't necessarily know it was going to be fully with basketball. And then basketball is just kind of what led me to college. And once I got there, I just knew immediately this is just not for me, just – the classes, the learning is so slow. I got to go at everybody else's pace. Um, and just the material that I was learning, I could easily get on my own. So I just kind of looked at the time and the money. And I just knew that I could get a better ROI on my time and my money if I invested it into myself and starting to grow my business and get a head start on everybody else who's just taking the traditional route in a sense, I guess. So you got this, you have this theme of betting on yourself from dropping out from starting your own facility. What is that about? When did you start developing that? Um, I mean, I guess that you could say it came from basketball just because I'm obviously shorter. I'm only 5'7". So trying to go and play in college at 5'7 in the first place, like you got to have kind of a chip on your shoulder. So I guess you could say I developed, developed it from that. And then just trusting my work ethic and knowing no matter what happens, I can figure it out. Like even I got the gym during COVID and I was like, I don't care what happens. I'm going to be able to figure it out. So it really just comes from like confidence in my ability to just make things happen regardless of outside circumstances. And just knowing I have the resources for myself and just the people around me to help support me, get me to where I want to go to. And I just could see the vision before other people could, I guess you could say. So take me, you, it's, it's 2018, you drop out and fast forward to 2020 2021 COVID and now present day what was that process like man from a college guy who just dropped out of college and it's not your identity but it's just a big 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 thing in your life that happened to saving up and planning to actually open your own facility take me through that process all right so I originally right after I dropped out I had $50 in my bank account and obviously had some loans Um, and then I started to work at a golf course And I worked there from May until November. And then I was obviously training on the side as well. So my entire day was spent working, training, lifting, just to keep myself in shape, or I was learning. That was all I did for those six to eight months straight. And that kind of helped me build the foundation of number one, savings, number two, knowledge, number three, just getting more business experience and training experience. And then from there, the winter came and then that was kind of where it was a little bit harder because I could have took a job to go and work during the winter when I wasn't training as much because kids went back to playing. So training kind of calmed down a little bit. And then that's kind of where I just 
doubled down again, like we just kind of talked about and was just like, you know what, I'm going to spend all my time making content and then learning because I, I really saw in 2018, obviously it's harder to grow now, which we were talking about off air, but back then, not I say back then, like it was so long ago, but like two, three years ago, it was a little bit easier. So I just kind of doubled down. I was, I was posting every single day. I didn't care if the content was amazing. I was just trying to get myself out there. If I wasn't doing that, I was learning. I was studying. I wasn't training a lot because kids were in school. So I just spent, again, like another six-month period just locking in on learning, locking in on content. So I started to grow a following. Then the summer came. Training picked up a little bit. Still not making that much money, but Let me ask you this. as much as I can. And, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, man. I usually no, no, don't no. do that, but like this yeah. process is really interesting. So you, 2018 drop out, wintertime, it slows down. Obviously trainees are in school. You probably don't know that much about the seasonality as you do yeah. now and the cyclical yeah. nature of this training. And you're making, I think in your videos, you said maybe like no more than a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Right. What are your expenses first and foremost? And you said you got the loans and everything as well. Mm -hmm. And are you not, are you stressed out at this time as you post this content, wondering if it's like the right thing to be doing or what's your mindset at this mm -hmm. point? So, I mean, I obviously didn't have a lot of expenses just because I didn't have a gym at the time. I just got out of college. So like I only had $5,000 in loans and I didn't have to pay them back until I was out of school for six months. So I had some leeway there and then I was just staying at home. So I just was able to literally save every penny I could. And I wasn't trying to go out, spend money on food. I wasn't trying to literally spend a dime if I didn't absolutely have to. And that's what allowed me to get ahead. And for the most, like, because most people in my position would have been more comfortable spending money, but I knew the bigger picture. I knew I had to make that sacrifice. Even if it was a dollar here, a dollar there, I knew it was going to add up. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So, okay. You got the winter time. It's a little bit slower. You're posting more content rolls around to the spring and then the summer and continue, please. Yeah. And then, so that summer I started to gain, I think that summer I went to go intern with Drew Hanlon again uh, for the second time. And then that's when I was able to, again, gain some more credibility because I got to kind of show that I was out there learning from him and things like that. And then I came back home again, just slowly just building my training and all just was based off quality for me like I just focused one session at a time delivering as much value as I possibly can because I knew I had to keep as many clients as I could and I knew if I did a good job they're gonna tell their friends so that was like my main premise my main focus every single day and then that led into the fall it just slowly just building momentum day after day after day it wasn't like a big all of a sudden everything just blew up it was just so consistent and that's just because I worked every single day slowly just getting one percent better like there was no magic secret whatsoever it was just super consistent all the way until COVID happened and then that's kind of obviously when things shifted because everything shut down the whole gym situation kind of twisted and then what's and what is that what, talk about that gym situation like where were you training sure. beforehand like once you were working at the golf resort uh yeah. course and then you know what happened there yeah yeah so to go back a little bit more obviously when I stopped working in November that was the last time I ever like had a normal job. And I was just like, I'm just going to go all with training. So then when the spring and summer came around, I had to figure it out. So I was just obviously busting my ass to get more clients. And obviously after about a year, it, I could have eased, I was like a full-time trainer. Like you can consider me off what I was making. I could work as a full-time trainer. And then as COVID hit, obviously gym shut down for like two to three months. I was barely, I was training kids outside and things like that, but obviously just income just cut by like two thirds. 
Um, but then once the gym started opening back up in June, they got a new owner. So I was originally paying like 15 to $20 per hour to use the court. And then with the new owner, he was like, all right, we're going to go up to 25. But after like two months, we're going up to 50 an hour. So I was like, at that rate, I'm training 30 hours a week. I'm paying four or $5,000 a month to use a court. At that point, I could easily just rent my own court, like I'm leasing right now. And I'm paying probably less to lease than I would if I was just renting the gym. So, but then also I have leverage because I can rent the court out like they were doing to me. So that's where I was just like, all right, it's a no brainer for me to just go and get my own place. And then obviously all those years, all that consistency, just saving up my money, making those little sacrifices. I had the, the reserves to go and do that. So that's when I just knew, okay, I have to do it. And then that was the smartest financial decision, smartest business decision. So I just had to go all in and I just had to find a solution, which led me to this place. It wasn't the most perfect, but I made it work and it's going to help me get to the next step as well. So what is, what's the percentage? If you have to guess a number, or even if you knew, know the number, that's great. This is a side question that but we'll go back to the main topic. What's the number, the percentage of revenue you would say that renting the court out to others is? Because that's the most passive work that you, you can possibly do. You pay somebody else to go there to manage it and a team uses it or whoever else mm-hmm. uses it. What percentage of revenue do you think that is and what could it actually be? For like, what percentage is it for that bring that I bring in per month or is it per like hour is what you're saying? Per, per month, like if you make, let's say, make $1,000 a month, is that gym rental like 250? Is it a quarter? Mm-hmm. Is it like 10% of it? So what percentage in, it, I've noticed now having it for almost a year, it's very seasonal because up where I'm at, the winter is very, like you can't use outdoor courts at all. But then during the summer, it's nicer out. People can go poop outside. So like I'm not getting as many three on three, like just normal people who want to just come in and use the court. So in the winter, that's when it's pretty hefty. Like I was, I think, doing around $2,000. Oh, oh, no. I think it was like $1,500 a, a week. Oh, about to say, I saw you fixing your face to say a week with the $2,000. I'm like, yeah. yo. 50, like $1,500 a week. I'm right. pretty sure. And that's a slower season too. So it's like. Yeah, because I was, I would, let's hold on. Let me just do the numbers real quick. So I, now I'm renting it for 45 an hour and it's like a half court. It's like a bigger than half court, but. If I rented for $45 an hour times, I was renting it for about 25 hours a week. Yeah, it's like $1,200 a week. So it was like $5,000 a month. That is significant. Off rental. Cool. So it paid paid for my entire lease and everything. And yeah. then obviously now in the spring, it's, it's definitely a lot less, probably a couple hundred. Um, but again, that helps because I don't have to do any work to make money. So it just gives me more leverage. Right. And that's your busier season. Too. yeah so, exactly like, so i'm training i'm training exactly it's perfect man that's that's awesome bro and I, i've always wondered that like how many how often are people actually renting the gym but that's, yeah. i'll come back to that a little bit later but you were talking oh man where, where were we beforehand oh the gym so the owner this new owner comes in 20 dollars mm-hmm. initially then he says 25 for the first month two, uh, two months three months later it's going to be 50 dollars. i'm doubling yeah. this for you mm-hmm. what was that process for you in those two months while you were scrambling to find a better situation you obviously had to go drive around maybe look on LoopNet, look online yep. call people what was your process to find that spot yeah so i originally the place i currently have i looked at it the very beginning of COVID. it was like end of march and then it was just it was really run down did not look good um, for the people that have seen my YouTube videos, they might've seen what it looked like. 
And then I was just like, it's not a good time because of COVID. So I was like, I'm just going to wait it out a little bit longer, see what happens. And then I was like, once I got back to the gym where I was like, all right, I need to find a place. I came back and looked at it again. I looked at a couple different spots. Um, the other ones were all right, but I just knew I could make this one work based on the size, based on the location, based on how much I would need to put in. But yeah, I was just looking on LoopNet pretty much every single day, um, reaching out to realtors and just doing whatever I could to find it. And then once I found it, I had about two months to get it ready before I could actually train here. So I was training while at the same time having to get this place ready. So I would go and train for like four or five hours in the summer. And then I would come over here and paint the walls for like three hours or like have to clean stuff up and just like all those kind of things. So it was, it was a pretty uh, like wild period for like two months where I was trying to train as well as get this place ready. And then obviously once I got it ready, it was just so much easier because I could just transfer everything to here. Hold on. So you are, you're waking up, you're training, maybe some individuals in the morning, I'm assuming uh, four to five hours in the afternoon to the evening. Yeah. Then you're going, so by this point, you've already called the owner, the landlord and set up a deal with him. Yeah. What, what, what were those details that you can share for that agreement? And then I want to go back to like the actual mm -hmm. build out of the gym. Yeah. So I agreed, I think it was July 8th or 9th that I like signed the lease. And then it was obviously first last security that you got to put down up front. And that was like $9,300. And then that's when I got the keys to the place. So I could just, but I couldn't get the court in until like mid August. So I had to get everything else ready. So it, I mean like the office, I had to start buying things. I had to start preparing. When's the floor going to come in? I got to get the hoops in before that. I got to work on this. I got to paint that before the court's in and then when the hoops are in, so it was it was a process in terms of like the build out, but it was really all about just timing and making sure everything was organized, um, which was, again, pretty stressful because everything had to be timed perfectly. And if it wasn't, it could have taken an extra week or an extra month. And I was paying for the space the second month. So July, I didn't have to pay, but then August I was paying and I was paying to use the gym that I was using to actually train people before I could actually use the court. So you're, you're double, you have yeah. double rent for yep. an overlap portion of that yep. time, pretty much. Mm -hmm. What are you, dang, bro. So who's helping you out through this process? Are you just like researching, calling people? Like, who are you looking to for guidance, if anybody? Um, I mean, like I had a lot of like my friends and stuff helping me out in terms of like the actual building it out, painting and things like that. But I, I didn't know anyone who did something like this um, and like, like you said, like the transparency I've tried to have on YouTube, like it was tough to try to find anything like that. So it was really just figuring it out as I went. Like I had no clue what I was doing. I was just trying to figure out what the best possible way was. Parents were helping me. And then the person who put in the floor for me is, is like my mentor. So he was kind of helping me a little bit, but obviously he's busy. He's trying to do his thing. So it was really just figure it out as I went. And then that's why I was trying to put those videos out on YouTube to help other people that are going to try to do the same thing. Cause I just didn't see anything out there to really help people. What are the, uh, I mean, do you have, a, do you have a sport court? Do you have vinyl? Do you have Yeah, wood? I have a vinyl, I have a vinyl hardwood. Vinyl. Okay. So it is hardwood. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's like a, it's like a mix between like a, I guess you could say a mix between like a sport court or like a mix between like a rubber floor and a real hardwood. Got it. I know it, the look is much better and I know yeah. the feel is, the feel is good too. What, what are your honest thoughts on that? Like, does it, as a hooper, you've played on both courts, you played mm -hmm. on wood. Obviously everybody loves wood, but is oh, that yeah. really do you think is that bad for knees of the athletes? So the floor that I have is really good um, because it has like a, a padding underneath it. 
um, which gives some more give to it. So for the price that you pay, I think it's the best way to go because if you can get the, the hardwood, obviously that's the best way to go because everyone loves playing on it. That's the best surface you can get. But it's so much better than like a rubber flooring or a sport court. So if I was to go like on either one end of the spectrum, I would try to go in the middle and get that. Uh, I got it through Icon Surfaces. Um, so they're really good. Um, I, I love the surface. It's very durable. So I definitely recommend it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, man. Especially right now, the cost of wood is oh, yeah. insane. So I'm, I'm glad you did it when you did it because yeah. if you would have tried to do it right now, yeah, it would have been double the square footage, the cost per square foot. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you're, you're going through this process. You're training in this old gym, trying to get out of there while you're waiting for this new gym to be built. You put down the first, mm -hmm. the last, the security. And I mean, I'm assuming this mentor of yours, he, did he give you a good deal with the floor, like the contracting labor for the floor? Or did he just say like, hey, love you, my man, but this is my job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he gave me a, a solid, solid deal. I mean, it was still pretty expensive. Like the floor for only three, like 2,500 square feet is like $23,000. So like damn near a car payment, a nice car I put in for the floor. So, but I mean, a hardwood would have been like 40,000. So, and then and I didn't want to go with all this, this money. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't take, I didn't have to take any loans or anything. Wow, bro. And with yeah. the videos, the YouTube video said what, fifty or sixty k, like entirely yeah. for it the was build like, out. It was like fifty thousand for like pretty much everything, in terms of like build out, and then the obviously first, last security, initial deposit, all that kind of stuff. Hoops, floor, construction work that I had to do, all the supplies for the bathroom, office, all that kind of stuff. And the, the YouTube video is is pretty comprehensive, right? Did you miss anything? Like looking back at it, did you miss anything that you? Yeah, were... I missed like two things. I missed like a counter thing I had in the office, and then like one other small thing. But and then obviously there was stuff like that just comes up after that, like month to month that like exactly. you start to add. So I mean, but that was it was pretty accurate, um, even looking back. So got to put that youtube video in the comments in the yeah. in, in the group and or for the podcast in the notes so i'll do that okay so it took two months three months to get this gym built out and total in totality from you saying oh crap i got to get out of this gym mm -hmm. to the courts are ready we can get on it how long did that take i think it was middle beginning or middle of june i was like all right got to find a place and then the lines and everything was done September like 17th so that's like a solid three months and then the gym wasn't really technically completely done until like October 1st that's when like I had like all the wall pads and all that kind of stuff in. but got it got it man that's that's awesome because that's that's a trainer's dream right everybody wants talks about wanting to own their own yeah. gym but at the same time I don't think many know I didn't know it really does cost a lot of money and mm -hmm. what we do want at times more than just owning it is having full control over the hours and when you exactly. actually go inside of it, exactly. you know? So how has that process been for you? I mean, obviously you have to bet on yourself and there's probably some stress there because you have more responsibility, mm -hmm. but how has that process been for you? It, it's been really good. Um, and like one of the main things for getting the gym, like I wasn't just looking at, all right, how much am I pulling in per month? How much, can I make it this facility? It was really like the opportunity cost. Cause like, if you just look at it from purely a numbers position, what I was doing before, if I was making like $8,000 a month before I had to pay 3,100 a month for the lease, plus all these other expenses, I'm not really pulling in much, but I knew the opportunity cost. Okay. Now I got a gym. I can train when I want. 
I got more rep- reputability because people are like, oh, he has his own gym. He must be legit. I'm able to film more content. So I'm able to grow my social media, both on YouTube, which can lead to more money. Also Instagram, which can lead to more clients. So I just saw, even if I just did the numbers right now, where I'm at, okay, maybe it doesn't make perfect sense, but I knew the opportunity cost and where I could get to the passive income off the rentals. And I just knew that once I get the gym, I knew I was just going to be able to take it to a whole nother level, which was going to make a lot more sense. So if you just look at it, okay, I'm making $5,000 a month as a trainer, but I got to pay $4,000 a month for a place. Even if you can afford the upfront, you might be like, oh, it doesn't really make sense because I'm not going to make that much. But you have to look at the opportunity cost as well, not just like the purely spreadsheet numbers that you're looking at right now. And when you say the opportunity cost, let me let me see if I can follow along with that. So without going into detail, because your story is much more interesting than, than mine, I was at a gym. I was a general manager there. I was also training there. They brought in their own basketball trainer. I They didn't forcefully kick me out, but they just basically blacklisted me. So I couldn't yeah. rent any more in there. Yeah. And I had a chance to actually purchase the rights to this gym, like to this, the court. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was operating in my general manager duty, not trying to be basketball trainer, but yeah. I had a chance to purchase this. So basically me not taking the chance to put the money down for this court. How much was, was it? like 5k a month for for a full, a full court? court oh yeah two goals so you would have controlled it like would have controlled it would have controlled all of it the, the hours and this is during but but there's more to the story though like yeah, yeah the entire obviously. facility like it was probably about double to triple to manage the entire space yeah yeah but if i would have just said hey this is the court i want this that's the opportunity call. I didn't do it. So now I'm missing out on having a mm-hmm. consistent location because I didn't purchase that. And what you're mm-hmm. saying, I'm assuming is, look, the chance of having your own spot like you had versus paying this $50 per hour is golden. So mm-hmm. you're just basically calculating the chances of that opportunity and not doing it. It's, it's a win based on that opportunity, correct? Is that what you mean yeah. by opportunity goals? Yeah. Yeah. Trying to break it down for the trainers because I, I have my own understanding of it, but. Yeah, yeah, because there's just so many more, so much more to it than just the numbers in terms of everything else that can you can do, like in terms you have control, you have available time to film content, to grow your your brand in all aspects. And then also you have the rental aspect, like there's just so much upside. And then obviously you have to weigh the downside. You have to make sure you're in a good enough position that if something happens, you'll still be OK. But you have to look at the upside, not just like currently where you're at based on what those numbers are, what your numbers are. I'm curious to know, so two things, I'll, I'll, I'll type the other one down so I don't <laughs> forget it. But for you right now, I've asked other trainers who have a significant following if they think social media is overrated in the sense of producing so much content, do you see a direct result from producing all that content? I would say, I would say yes, because a lot of, a good amount of the kids that I train still to this day, initially came to me through social media. And then also when people are like, oh, I want to train with him. Then they go and look me up on social media. They can see what I'm about. They see that I'm serious. They see that I have a following. And then that brings them in the door. So, and you got to look at the lifetime value of even just one person coming through on social media. So say you have one person who trains with you for five years and they're paying you say $1,000 total a year, that just brought you $5,000 for the next five years. And that could have been off one post that you made that they liked and that, that brought them into the door. So you never know 
the opportunities that social media can bring you. And it's also, again, not even just looking at pure numbers in terms of kids that are coming to train with you versus the time that you're spending. It's also the networking op networking opportunities. Like if I didn't have social media, I wouldn't be doing this right now. I wouldn't be getting like promoted essentially to all these other trainers that are listening to it. So there's a lot of opportunities that come with it and not necessarily just like the pure revenue. So I would absolutely say it's a hundred percent worth it. And I wouldn't necessarily say it's overrated in terms of that. That's a great soundbite. That will definitely be an Instagram meme. <laughs> uh, some, <laughs> some kind of post that, that shows up again. That's a, that's a great answer. I never thought about it. I haven't heard it said that way. And I think mm -hmm. the ones who say it is overrated are thinking more of a transactional, and even yep. me, like thinking more of a transactional sales perspective rather than a long-term branding perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for you, would you, in an ideal facility, what would that look like? Would you rent to like yoga to volleyball to all these other sources just in case Tyler, unfortunately, God forbid, gets hurt or something like that. And worst case scenario happens, would you like to rent out to other sports or do you just think basketball sports performance is it? I would say it obviously depends like how big the facility is, because if you have five, six courts, you, it's going to be very tough to just do basketball also really depends on your location. But if you have a smaller one, it's easier to like my spot, it's easy to just do basketball because of the space. Like if you have six courts, you got to fill six courts per hour per day. So if you even just renting for six hours, that's 36 essential hours you need to fill versus me, it's just one. So I can fill eight hours a day with just basketball versus 36. So I would say like, ideally it would be like a slightly smaller. So not like a six court facility like maybe a one to two, keep kind of everything basketball related. Um, I feel like that would be ideal. Maybe get into a little bit of volleyball in like the off season times. Um, but I mean, I don't know, kind of depends on like your market as well. It depends on a lot of things. So I can't, I can't necessarily give a very concrete answer because it's always very dependent. Definitely situation. That's a good point. Uh, I just know down here, your volleyball usually runs things like volleyball. Yeah, I read charge more. <laughs> read the book uh gym launch and it, it talked about like this one guy who was all based on like one source of revenue and then he brought in like volleyball girls or something and he made a freaking killing off it or something so great this book one? right there yeah yeah Thanks, what page is that because i have definitely missed that i like alex Ramosi. um i don't know i don't know where it is but he was basically just <laughs> saying like his business model was all targeted towards one person and then he ran like a volleyball like athletic performance clinic in his gym and he made more money just off of that than he did the whole like previous month or something like that so wow okay i might need to reread this book again man i think it is a blueprint though i really do think yeah it's absolutely a, it's a blueprint. and i don't think like trainers really get into things like that and i think that's why a lot of them have tough times running their business because they don't i feel like trainers most of the time just look at it from purely basketball sense they don't look at it like as an actual business and like reading things like that i think really helps like trainers actually become successful not just like with who they're training, but actually from a business stance, actually taking home money each month, as opposed to just struggling month to month. Right, because it's, it's interesting with, with this industry and other industries, like in the private business, in the basketball game, you can see the score, you know who's winning, you know who's losing. Mm -hmm. In the training space, like, except for you, because you're sharing all your numbers publicly, or most of your numbers publicly, but mm -hmm. for other trainers, like you don't know how they're doing. You don't know if they're struggling. Exactly. You don't know if they're like, they got some new shoes, they, they're promoting their business. They're always on social media, but they're broke. Exactly. Right? You never know. I hope that's not a lot of people, but it seems like it could be. It, yeah, it definitely. I mean, just because like, I think a lot of people 
take it more as like a charity case almost, which I think is fine. Like, but you also have to be secure financially. Like you can't help people with basketball all the time. If you're stressed financially, like you just can't do it. So like, it has to make sense financially for you to do it at a high level, because if you have to continuously worry about, you have to keep doing money grabs here and there. And like, it's just, it's just not a good way to just run number one, a business, but just number two, actually help people because you're coming from a place of need almost. I was talking to a CFO of a, uh, a, a pretty major hospital down here. And, you know, he didn't like saying it, but it is, it's, it's true, especially when it comes to Catholic hospitals. It, they have a quote, they say, no margin, no mission. And so people like to flip it back and forth. But like, yeah, yeah if you don't have any margin in your, in your numbers, then you have no mission. You can't help people out. Exactly. So when they've been saying that, I've been kind of like, oh, man, that makes sense. And yeah. taking that to heart. Question for you. What have been the biggest takeaways from Drew Hanlon when it comes to business and when it comes to basketball? I would say business-wise, it was for him, it's really just delivering like a really good product and just being really true to the people that you're working with relationship-wise and just treating people right. Like that's going to go, that's going to do really well for you in the long term. Like you can try to make a quick buck here and there, but like in the long term, you're going to be screwed. So it's all about like reputation. If you have a good reputation, you treat people right long-term, you'll be taken care of. And then training wise, is just like his style, his attention to detail, the way he communicates with his players. I think like everything for him is, which is, should be true for a lot of basketball trainers and coaches is just relationships are really the underlying aspect to everything. Cause if you have a deep relationship, number one, they trust you. Number two, they're going to keep coming back to you. So that's going to help you business wise, but it's also going to help them because they're continuously coming to you, training with you. They're going to see improvement. And then if you have the relationship, you know how to get under their skin when you need to. You know how to teach them correctly. You know how they learn. So I think like really the relationship should be like the ground, the base, because you can kind of build everything from that. Not only your results, not only your business, but just like everything as a whole. They're going to talk to other people. So I think like that's that's like one of his main things that he does a really good job of. Got it. And so two questions. First one. I'm curious to know what you, back to the gym, last question about the gym process. I'm curious to know what you may have overlooked during the entire process. And the mm -hmm. second one would be what has been or what should be the first hire, the first employee W2 hire when you go through a situation like you went through mm -hmm. and are in a new gym. So first one about the overlook, overlooked, yeah. what did you overlook during the process? Um trying to think it's a little bit easier for me obviously just because my space is smaller so it's easier for me to kind of do more things on my own one thing I guess you could say is like I guess what like because one thing I'm trying to get right now is AC so I guess you could say that's one thing I overlooked like and that's like a hefty expense so I'm trying to figure out something for that because in the summer up here it can get really hot and humid so like some days it's hot as shit in here so it makes it kind of miserable <laughs> to train yeah so I mean I guess you could say that's one thing um not probably the best answer everybody wishes that I said, but um, no, that's, that's real though. Like HVAC is usually one of the most expensive things. Are yeah, you, exactly. are you like letting the garage door open and does the court get wet whenever it gets like super duper hot? Yeah. When it's super humid, it gets a little bit slippery. So I'm trying to, I'm going to either get a dehumidifier. I was trying to get AC, but I just got a quote for AC. It was $34,000. No way I'm doing that. If I don't own the place, like right. if I'm leasing, no chance I'm doing that. Like, if there was a return on investment on it, yeah, it's a different story, but there's no ROI on that whatsoever. So there's no point in doing it. So I'll just get like a dehumidifier or something, try to figure that out. 
Um, and the first hire I would say is just like a manager person. Um, mm. a, it, it depends on who you are as a person, like, and what your business model is with the gym. If you're a trainer person, like you're a trainer owning a gym, I would definitely say that because you want to focus on what you're best at. And if what you're best at is training, growing your business, posting to social media and things like that, it's going to be tough to manage everything else behind the scenes, trying to reach out to people to get extra rentals when you're not using the court um, to just kind of make sure everything's running smoothly, because it's going to be really tough to try to move very fast forward, do as much as you can while trying to kind of clean up your mess behind you as you go. So I'd say that's one of the first ones. And then the second one would just be like an extra trainer uh, on board that can train when you're not training or train kids that you don't necessarily want to train or that makes sense to train financially. What does that position description look like for that, like that manager person, that facility support person? Um, so for me, it's really just having someone that can be here when I don't necessarily want to be here or have to be here all the time in terms of rentals. So when I'm renting the court out, I can kind of leave. If I've been here for 12 hours, I don't want to be here an extra three hours so I can have somebody else come in um, and then try to grow it so that that person can kind of work to fill my schedule a little bit more in terms of rentals, trying to get sponsorships um, and just trying to get more kids in the gym, really. That would be kind of like the main main roles uh, that I'm looking for. Got it. In that uh, in the gym, when I was a general manager of this franchise, they called it a facility support specialist. And there were two of them. Usually there was like a operations person. There was a salesperson. So they kind of work in tandem to make sure like, yeah. obviously everything was, was good. Get more people in and make sure that they have a good structured experience when they got people in. So yeah. uh, it sounds like that's what you're kind of talking about, like a blend of yeah. those two roles yeah. there yeah. while you do the training. Um, and I had, I had one more so I'm uh, curious, so we've talked about a lot of stuff when it comes to the training aspect. Talk to me about Mastery Hoops and how that came along. Yeah, so that's a mainly a coaching education platform. We also have a players part of it. And the coaching aspect is really trying to teach coaches and trainers, really mainly trainers, anyone who's trying to develop players, so like a player development specialist, whether you're a coach, trying to help develop your player skills or you're just an independent trainer, teaching them the science of what's actually effective. So me and my partner, Coleman, by any means basketball, which is what most people know him by, really kind of just saw a gap in terms of actu people actually trying to utilize science. Like they're just going off what they've seen done before or what a coach has helped them with when it comes to improving skills. But we feel like there's a huge gap in terms of is what we're doing actually the best way to do it? So we're trying to dive into the science and then make it applicable to basketball training. So the science of skill acquisition, motor learning, the way that us as coaches communicate with our players and what actually leads to game results. And if it doesn't lead to game results, then we need to find a better way to do it and not just go off of, oh, this worked for me. It must work for everybody else, right? So we're trying to educate trainers on that. We're also trying to educate trainers on the business side you guys can actually be profitable as a trainer and just everything that a, a trainer or a player developer uh, needs in terms of drills, resources to learn from podcasts, kind of like this, giving links to stuff like that. And then on the player side, it's really just teaching players how to work out by themselves. I know me as a player, I always wish I actually knew what I was doing. If I did, I would have been so much further along as a player. And again, most players are just doing what their coaches are teaching them and their coaches are just teaching them what their coaches before that were teaching them. So there's not really 
any efficiency in terms of what players are doing on their own. So we're trying to educate them, not just give them drills, but actually we kind of say it as like, we're not just giving them a fish, we're teaching them how to fish for themselves. Um, so really just educating players on everything that goes into the process as a player from the performance side, from the actual training side, from getting to go and play in college, and then also on the mental side as well. And I can vouch for that too. What I've enjoyed the most, yeah, there's some good drills in there too, things I haven't seen before, but more importantly, I like the teaching how to fish. I like the interviews where you have conversations around the science of skill acquisition, where you mm -hmm. talk about, I think it's not the word, like the random, random, randomication, or like, I don't know the word where you like actually, uh, you have their variety and you yeah. make certain drills and tactics random and unpredictable to mm -hmm. increase the skill level, like certain things of that nature that I've gone in and I've looked at, I've thought, oh, I like that concept and I can see why, how it would make, it would make better results or get better results mm -hmm. for the trainees. So that's been my favorite part of it so far. I know you guys are like adding content. You, you got some things coming soon inside of it, mm -hmm. but I definitely have enjoyed it so far. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to continue to grow it and just really try to be the front, the frontier of kind of a new, a new way that people train, essentially, like really training from a scientifically efficient perspective, stuff that actually works, that leads to results and not just what you could call fake results, which is players looking better in practice, but not looking better in games. You commonly see coaches blame, oh, he's just a practice player. Hmm. Well, maybe it's your coaching is that's making them a practice player. You know what I'm saying? So, like, a lot of coaches try to blame blame the players. Sometimes coaches got to take a, take a look in the mirror first. What did you – so we talked about, obviously, DJ Sackman and, like, just the online game itself and how competitive mm -hmm. it really is, how you – you made a great point. Can you make that point again about the playing field and how it just opens up and becomes even more competitive when you go to an yeah. online? So like, obviously the online training space, I wouldn't necessarily say it's really new because it's been around for a while, but in terms of the competition, it's becoming more and more. And you see it's even harder now if you're just starting out as a trainer, because why is little Johnny, who's an eighth grader trying to make his varsity team going to buy your platform when you have, been training for two years when they can go and buy DJ Sackman's or Paul Favorites' program or Drew Hanlon's program for virtually the same price. You have somebody who's been in the game for 10 years versus you who've been in the game for two months and you just created a little platform on a little website you made in a week. Why are they going to go and buy yours? So the competition is even harder because there there's availability to every single trainer that's out there. So it's like if you're not doing something that's completely different, if they can buy the same product for the same price from somebody who's 10 times better than you, there's no chance that they're going to buy yours instead. And that's kind of something that I've noticed over the last like year. And one of the ways that we're different with mastery hoops and the way we, the reason we wanted to do it is because we're so different because we're doing something that no one else has really done. And that's, what's going to make it not, I wouldn't, yeah, it's, what's going to be, able to support our business because we're coming from a different perspective. We're not doing what everybody else is doing. We're not just giving players, oh, here's a little ball handling program where you're doing stationary ball handling for 30 minutes every single day. Like we're doing different shit. So that's like the only way that you can really make a killing online is if you're doing the same thing as everybody else, you're competing with everybody else. So unless you're doing something radically different, giving players different values that they can't get anywhere else, it's going to be very tough for you to succeed. I was going to ask you that too. If that same concept in mind, 
who did you see out there who that was offering some kind of product that makes you different? So obviously you may name some Paul Fabrics, you got uh, 10,000 hours that Devin, DJ Sackman, mm -hmm. Drew Hanlon. Like, who else is out there that's kind of similar to what you guys are trying to do at Mastery Hoots, if anybody at all? Um, I would say the only person is is Drew. He has like a basketball of business like course or whatever. But really everyone in terms of like Drew, um, DJ Sackman, like it's all really aimed at the players and it's just giving them workout programs. It's just giving them drills. It's just like we said, just feeding them fish. But we're trying to teach them how to do that on their own. So they actually know what they're doing. They know why they're doing it. And they can actually get more results than that than just being a robot and doing what you're told. And we're giving them the whole picture. We're not just giving you basketball drills. We're giving you information on how to train in the weight room on your own. We're giving you the mental skills that you guys are going to need to succeed on and off the court. And then we're giving you guys advice in terms of recruitment and everything like that. So it's not just, oh, we're just feeding you drills. We're feeding you a prescribed program. We're teaching you how to do this on your own. And then from a coach's perspective, we're giving you everything that you need to succeed as a player development coach. And you're, we're, again, teaching you how to utilize these things in a practical manner. So we're, there's a couple of people that are out there that do a great job educating on the skill acquisition science and things like that. But no one that really makes it applicable, easily applicable to basketball trainers. So we're trying to do that on the coach's side and then from the player side. Obviously, I just explained the kind of difference that we have from everybody else. Right. So for those who are listening and are interested in Mastery Hoops, where can they go to check it out? So if you want to learn more, just go to masteryhoops.com. We also have an Instagram. Just look it up, Mastery Hoops, to kind of see what it's about. Um, so if you're a player or a trainer, and if you're a trainer, it's a great thing to give to your players. Um, but obviously, if you're a trainer, I would absolutely recommend that you're on it so that you know what you're doing. You can be more efficient. You can get players more results. Just literally everything that you need to know as a trainer, we're literally just trying to put everything out there. And if we don't know it, we're going to try to find somebody that does so we can give you everything that you need to know. Tyler, man, thank you for blessing the podcast, man. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with the trainers listening? Um, I think that was pretty good. I mean, if, if any of you guys have more questions for me and whatever, please feel free to reach out or go check out the Mastery Hoops. But other than that, it's been great. Man, I appreciate that. I want to stop it on live. Uh, thank you all for, who checked this interview out on the live. Make sure you uh, leave a comment below to let me know what you learned the most or what was the most helpful from Tyler. Yo, hope that podcast gave you some value. If it did, please rate, review, and subscribe to this. It only makes the podcast better. I read every single one. And at the very least, go join our group. You'll see the link in the description of this episode. And I will catch you on the next one.